Hey, y'all. My name is Caitlin. Caitlin, where art thou, Caitlin? <laughs> I was trying to pull some Romeo and Juliet stuff, too, but uh, uh, we're both English majors. We studied English. I could I, I was awful at Shakespeare. I just couldn't get it. I couldn't wrap my mind around it. I was like, this is not an exciting read for me. I so, didn't study um, Shakespeare. Not at all? Not really. I mean, the last thing, I think the last time I read Shakespeare was in high school. I don't think I did mm. in college at all. Really? Yeah. Oh. Well, I, I took, was like, like in the theater stuff. Like they oh, did Shakespeare yeah. and stuff. I was in uh, um, Othello. The know, worst class I've ever taken was Milton. Ah. Oh. Which is... Uh, uh, Paradise Lost. Paradise Lost. Oh, that's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah, that's and a like, tough one. That's kind of what I compare the, like taking a Shakespeare class to. So I kind of understand yeah. the pain. Mm -hmm. Oh, that was so mm -hmm. awful. It was so awful. People who were engaged mm -hmm. in that class, I was like, what? What are you going to do with your life? Like, why uh, are you engaged with Milton? Yeah, it just feels like uh, not as timeless. But Shakespeare just feels like um it's like they teach us in high school when at that teenage level where there's no way anybody's gonna take that seriously like why do they teach it when you're young like nobody's gonna care nobody is gonna care but i think my friend in high school who's a uh well she's not in high school <laughs> she's not in high school everyone <laughs> she is an adult uh but she teaches seniors <laughs> in high school and i think she actually has them watch romeo and juliet the claire danes and leo dicaprio version mm. of it because it just like mm -hmm. resonates more i'll have to ask mm. her to make sure god i wish she was on this podcast she'd be a good one yeah i i well, we're gonna be teacher. talking about yeah, an actual uh, instead of the students who uh, skated by like you and I did. Yeah. But, um, with that, I'm Zach, and I that was my intro. I have nothing else to add. You Snore. know, I was just snine. Come on, Caitlin. Welcome to manipulating the masses. <laughs> Don't give yourselves to brutes, men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives. Tell you what to do, what to think, or what to feel? Who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder? Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men, with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines, you are not cattle, you, the people, have the power. <laughs> uh, I basically All did right. your intro for you. The banter yeah, I was, was banking your intro. On that. You can't, I know, you can't I was... bank on the banter. I can, I can, because uh, I wrote the script. I wrote the, uh, I wrote the entire background. I did all the research, so I can, I can lean on you for the uh, intro. Intros, because uh, I just feel the the weight of Shakespeare. Like if we gotta be uh, punchy and clever like Shakespeare, and it's Friday morning after a long week, we are. Uh, I'm not in the right space. I'm not in the right space. But okay. we're we're gonna talk about the marketing of Shakespeare today, because I do think. Looking back, um, you know, we're not going to go through his history, where he's born and all of that stuff, but really look at how he marketed his plays uh, because he's clearly built a brand that's lasted 400 plus years, right? Still regarded, still talked about. Uh, Did he build a brand or was he just the first? I think it was a little bit of both. 
But okay. what, what would you? What do you mean? Uh, what's the problem with being the first? Isn't that? No, there is no problem. It, I think. Oh, I think that, that kind of goes. I think that is right place, right time, which is what we always talk about on mm. this podcast. Is just. Mm-hmm. You could do all the best marketing in the world, but if you're not in the right place at the right time, nobody's going to care. So being the first also has a lot of advantages. So maybe we give that a little credit. I I can, I, I'll yield to you there, but I will push back a little bit and say, uh, looking back, I think Shakespeare, if he was around today, is talking about right place, right time, he would have been uh, the most brilliant copywriter, tagline writer, marketer uh, in history. So I just pulled some uh, examples of phrases that he coined, that he used, the first ever usage of them, uh, that, that we still use today. And there's so many of them. I just pulled out some of the good ones. So uh, he coined the phrase, uh, wild goose chase. Really? Yep, that's from Shakespeare. Uh, Fight fire with fire, Shakespeare. Uh, Set your teeth on edge. You know, never like, use that, that one. No. Yeah, that, that's like uh, like when you're a little scared, like or it's like grinding, like nails on a chalkboard sets your teeth on edge. You know, um, what's done is done, Shakespeare. Knock knock, who's there? Shut up, Shakespeare. Yep, Shakespeare. Heart of gold, Shakespeare. Uh, full circle, which I added because you use that quite a bit. Uh, coming around full circle. That is a, a Shakespearean quote. Oh, my gosh. Uh, uh, the world is my oyster. Oh, my gosh. I know, right? And uh, uh, and my favorite. Uh, oh, no. there's uh, Love is blind is one. Love is blind. That's a great one. But my you favorite mean the is. The reality show didn't come up with that? No, they 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 utilize Shakespeare, believe it or not, you know? They're so progressive. Um, They're intellectual. Not counting the contestants on that show, but the the producers made a subtle nod to the Shakespearean crowd with that reality. I don't think they did. I don't think they knew what they were doing either. (laughs) Nope. And uh, my favorite is a piece of work. That is my favorite Shakespeare line. Um, yeah, right? I'm shook. Uh, I'm shook. I'm it's happy. astonishing, right? I'm happy you opened this podcast with those lines because you just really put it into my world. Otherwise, I was going <laughs> to sleep. I was going to fall asleep on this podcast. We've done enough of these. We're, we're coming up on two years. We've done enough of these. I know when I'm talking about history, I got to make it very relevant to you <laughs> to keep you engaged. Um, yeah. I've learned my lesson on this. Um, Tell me okay, which one but, of the Hadid sisters uses this <laughs> language and I'm all in, <laughs> you know? Okay. Okay. I know. We, we both have our barriers, right? And as soon as we start talking about fashion, I'm like, I don't know. I'm just going to shoot from the hip. You know, we both, we have our depths, right? Mm-hmm. We have our yeah. limits. Yep. Um, but in that sense, Caitlin, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Uh, can you name any Shakespeare plays? Can you name any Shakespeare plays for me? Yeah, Macbeth, Othello, nice. Romeo and nice. Juliet, uh, A Shrew. Yeah, The Taming of a Shrew. The Taming Very of a nice. Shrew. Very nice. Can you give me a quote? Do you have any like quotes? Wherefore art thou? You already got that one. I already got that one. Do you have one. any other quotes that uh, like famous Shakespeare quotes? Um, Quotes? No. I could recap a couple plays, but... Yeah. No, I trust you on that. We're English majors. 
Uh, what about uh, to be or not to be? Oh, oh, oh. What's done that is, is done. A question. Full What's circle. Done done. A full circle. I gave you a bunch a heart of, of gold. Caitlin. I was testing. I was testing if you were paying attention. Um, yeah. Well, I think we all know about him. I mean, there's not much to go. If you want to do the history, pop open PBS. What we're going to be talking about today is is his marketing tactics. Um, and, and I think the first thing that stood out to me, kind of looking back and framing this in a modern marketing sense, uh, is his ability to be a storyteller, right? I think that was a big pull. Um, and let me give some examples. And then I want to talk about uh, how we translate that into modern marketing, because um, um, so often we are classified as storytellers. That's what all the marketing gurus talk about. Be a storyteller, be a storyteller, right? That's what is ingrained in us to run a good marketing campaign. And Shakespeare uh, innovated a lot in the art of storytelling. Um, so he, he layered a lot of new aspects in there um, that we take for granted today. So prior to Shakespeare, to your point of him being the first, uh, prior to Shakespeare, all the plays were constructed around what are known as archetypes, archetypes. Right. So it would think of like the young maiden who's saved by the brave person. All she is is marrying like that is they, it was all framed around these archetype characters. Right. What Shakespeare did was really layer in these complexities in these characters. They weren't a strictly a protagonist or an antagonist. It was these complicated individuals grappling with uh, many times like internal struggles, less about like, oh, the dragon came to attack the castle the prince saves it etc can i just get my uh timing correct can you tell me when shakespeare was alive and well yes uh 1594 15. he was born okay uh died in like 16 mid 1600s like 40 something okay um yeah, I, and so i'm he, gonna really put you on the spot 1600 doesn't put anything into perspective for me so what was going <laughs> on in 1600 uh queen victoria was okay. there um london is he was british of, he is he so is. there there it is i took american mm -hmm. literature in college <laughs> stayed away from the brits um okay so queen victoria don't know who she is anything else what else you got for me uh How the plague I, the uh, plague a, classic the plague was a big thing okay. um it was, I mean, to put it in terms of America, I mean, 1600s was like they were just starting to discover the new world, right? right? Like the idea that, that there is another land entirely beyond Europe is just coming into the fold. Oh, that's true. That's you true. Know? Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean 14, blue in 1492. 1492. Okay. Uh -huh. but, so we, um, were, still, we were still busy raping and pillaging. Exactly. That was yeah. a big that was a big uh, push for the Brits. Um, but they uh, it was a very classist system like and we'll talk about this in a second. Like the aristocracy was a very big deal versus, you know, the common person um, that was just a, it was royalty. Uh, and the other thing going on was uh, a big religious movement. The Puritans were were in power there. So they actually restricted plays in the city of London. So all of the play theaters were like on the outskirts of London, but we're going to, that ties into our marketing. Why uh, does that have to do second. with being Puritan? Puritan did not like uh, the content of the plays. 
um, because they were a little more raw. They were a little more honest. They were a little uh, less holy than they would like. So they thought just very similar to how people are like today, like the TV shows are like, oh, they're Disney's going woke, you know, like yeah. that is the same thing with the Puritans. We're like the plays are promoting, okay. you know, obscenities and blah, okay. blah, 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 blah. Okay. Yeah. So does that do you want more context? Because no, I no, think no. I've tapped my 1600s. <laughs> Uh, English knowledge. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's about as deep as I can go. Okay. Um, uh, but uh, what Shakespeare did, and it was, it was developing these complex characters. And I want to tie this to the uh, example of Hamlet, the famous line to be or not to be. Um, as the example is he what he innovated is Hamlet's not talking to another character in that he's actually talking to the audience but it's his, it's like an internal monologue right so he's struggling with himself and you know the passing of his father we don't need to recap the story but that was something new that Shakespeare rolled in um, and as a marketer reading this right like that was the big allure I want to talk about how we build target personas uh versus complex characters right because i do like when i was reading this i think you know anytime we run a campaign it's often these archetypes right it's like the mom who has two kids like it's just kind of facts about these people and generalizations but i think campaigns would work a lot better developing complex characters and i think we do this as a, at our company like try to add in that extra layer rather than age demographics geo um so can you talk like how do you feel as marketers we learn from shakespeare building complex characters resonates with an audience and speaks to them a lot better how do you feel like we cross that line or how do you cross that line from just developing basic target personas and generalizations versus an actual character i guess is the word i'm going to use that we're targeting for our campaign do you have any thoughts on that um, it's a complex question. I'm getting heady. Or it's not a complex question. That's why I feel like I'm maybe not answering it correctly. Because I just feel like the mom archetype is no longer. And I think mm -hmm. like in this day and age, a mom is so many things. She's not identified as a mom. She's a career person. She mm. is a... Uh, chef i don't know what the fuck what is it what is a woman let me okay let me back up let oh me, don't me ask stick, me that question yeah let Jesus. me stick to something i know english okay. 101 yes. right what you know okay. so okay uh being a woman is so much more than being a mother being a wife being a sister being a daughter like all of these things we like to use these labels to identify ourselves but really a woman is so much and there's so many different sectionalities of being a woman mm. and especially like you have to take into so you have to take in so much you have to take in where they live what type of income they make do they have family because a, a family of four a woman with a family of four is very different she's living her life very differently than a single woman living in New York City. They're living very differently and mm -hmm. so it's our responsibility to think like them and put 
and put ourselves in their like actually put ourselves in their shoes and think if I was a woman in New York City, what would I be doing? I'd be paying nine dollars for a coffee. I'd be paying for parking. Mm. I'd have all these expenses. Whereas if I have a family of four and I live in Texas, I don't have to pay for parking. I probably have a mm. garage. I have a you know, I have this big, beautiful house. I, and these are just some examples. So, um, there's just so much more to take into account in this day and age. And I think humans are so much more complex now than maybe they even were. And I hate to say that. I think all humans are just complex in general, but I think now, especially because we have all of these different avenues to express ourselves. So we can be a podcaster, Uh, we can be a social media, mm, we can be, you know, we like mm, to what sing, whatever it is, we have a lot of avenues to express ourselves. Um, I think that's great. Um, and how we do that as marketers for us specifically at our company, we try to cross that line between archetype to character by, uh, labeling out the challenges. And I think that's what you did, right? Like what are the cost challenges of these people beyond what, whatever product or service we're helping a, a brand market. It's really speaking to, Hey, these are the challenges going on in their lives. And these are the conflicts that we can speak to, to make it more approachable, to speak directly to this person. It's difficult, right? Cause we're not running a campaign for one person. We're mm-hmm. still running a campaign that needs to appeal to thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people but it needs to resonate on an individual level and it is that's the art of storytelling that I think Mm -hmm. people marketers are really striving for and it starts with building these complex characters personas that that resonate throughout all of your deliverables right I think and when we're putting it in terms of marketing like I just want to first pause and like give you I the proudest I've ever been of you is when you, yeah. And I said this to you earlier, or I said this to you when you like presented this campaign to me and I was like, fuck, you really, really nailed this. And it was a recent campaign that I'm, I'm not going to talk too much about, but it was, you know, a client came to us and was like, Hey, we want to market our new product to, uh, it, our demographic is women making $50,000. And you just went that extra layer because women making $50,000 is like, yeah, they basically said, we want to target everyone. Okay, well, Mm. let's really think about what your product does, who it benefits, what what is this product? And then Mm -hmm. through that exploration, we kind of defined like, okay, well, this is time-saving. So we need to target not just moms or not just women, making $50,000, we have to target women who are in a time crunch, who don't yeah. have all day to, you know, make their food. Um, yeah. And so we, ex- we really explore what the actual product is and we pull out little tidbits so we can create this complex character. So instead of saying, so our, the classic thing for marketers is somebody, our clients come to us and say, we wanna target everyone. <laughs> And it's our job to be like, okay, you know, with a smile on our face, that sounds wonderful. (laughs) So let's just kind of create these A-B tests. So for A, who who are we really talking to? Oh, well, we're actually talking to project managers. Oh, so you don't want to target everyone. You want to target project (laughs) managers. Got it. Okay. So we, you have to ask, and I say this all the time, like, through our interviews with clients, you have to ask the right questions in order to Mm. create a narrative and be able to express that narrative in terms of visuals and dialogue. Um, Completely agree. But I also Mm. want to talk, I'll just touch on 
the campaign that you ran or that we're currently running for this client where they came to us and said, yeah, we want to target women of $50,000. We were really able through the exploration of asking them questions and through interviews, we're really able to target and hone in on a mom and treating moms like fucking athletes. Like Mm. you have to dig deep. Like you kind of compared it to a Gatorade commercial. And that truly is how, you know, my friends have children and I see them like digging so deep to just get through their day. Um, and it's the same way moms aren't compared to athletes. So, Hey, maybe we, maybe we run this campaign and see how it performs. And so, um, I thought that was really, really brilliant, Zach. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And I think it's part of being a marketer because I will never be a mom, you know, as hard as I try, I will never be a mom, Yeah. but you have to really put yourself in their shoes and understand what they're doing. It's building that story just like Shakespeare does. Right. Like, and you have a mom, so you have to, you know, think about what, okay, how did my mom raise me? Like, what did I witness her going through? Exactly. Oh, mm-hmm. she's always busy, crazy, making dinners, prepping meals, all of this stuff, whatever it was. It's like, you have to think outside of your own character. Exactly. Exactly. Shout out to my mom. She's an avid listener. Um, so, uh, <laughs> What's yeah, your mom's no, name I think again? I forget. Danielle. Oh, I never knew that. I didn't forget. I never have heard that name before. She's she's a big fan of yours. She's a big fan of yours. Except she told me she told me on Wednesday we have to stop using like so much. Like we (gasps) thank you. you. We appreciate that feedback. Did she also say? I said no. I'm gonna keep doing it. That's how our generation speaks. Like, don't ask me to filter. You're a lot nicer than me. I was like, no. What are you talking about? I think this illustrates how our relationship (laughs) works. Is I am willing to be receptive of feedback, (laughs) whereas you are not so much. Nope. I like to do it my way, and I'm always like, I'll challenge your feedback. And then we Uh, meet in the middle, and we're we're like, okay, we can cut out half the likes. (laughs) <laughs> let's start there fair did fair. you also I've been think trying that to she watch could it. read war and peace between my thoughts <laughs> uh, no she did she because i edit that out oh that's my secret that i know um well now it's not a secret anymore but i was trying to get you back on that have um, you noticed but, in my in my uh I have. I'm like talking so fast today. I have. I also almost complimented you on your intro and then I backed out of it and was like, so see, I am receptive. I am receptive. A roast is more than a roast. It is. (laughs) It's constructive criticism. Yeah, Um, yeah, no, I think you put it so eloquently, Caitlin. Like it is, it's really coming from marketers, building more than just a demographic of this is the age. I I read this one thing, article one time on marketing where it's like, if you target a, a man 54 years old who's been divorced, has two kids, uh, you know, if that's your target, that applies to King William or uh, King Charles and Ozzy Osbourne. Like yeah, those are yeah, two completely yeah. <laughs> different people, right? But if you just target by demographics, you're gonna get that, right? So it's yeah. it's layering in, and this is what Shakespeare did so well: layering in that complexities, building that story, understanding the person and those struggles yeah. of someone in the aristocracy or someone like Romeo and Juliet, who are just in like a prominent family, nothing of like that wasn't his life but he was able to speak to that right and i think 
by building complexities, you actually are reaching more people because people like to see themselves in characters. Exactly. And so even though I can't identify with being a mother, I can identify with digging deep and just trying to get through your day because you don't have enough time on your hands. So like the time thing can really speak to a lot of people. So the more yep. complex the character, the more likely people are going to be able to resonate with them. Yeah, the more opportunity for connection. Exactly. I could not agree more. You know, I think back to like, you know, I, I, I go back to Romeo and Juliet or even Hamlet, right? Hamlet is the character is a, a prince, a king, you know, like how many people are going to be able to relate to that character? Mm -hmm. Very few, but mm -hmm. they lose a parent and they're struggling with with, you know, how they grapple with losing a family member and that piece of connection that layered aspect of that character just like any marketing campaign even if you have a certain person you're trying to speak to if you layer in those uh, those complexities it's more opportunity to build that connection and feel um get people to stop and listen to what you're saying right um well you, you answered my next question as well yeah. which is like ask uh, me like, anyways yeah so um the lessons uh, like as far as building characters and detailed personas that shakespeare did so well um is there any lessons that you've learned doing this uh, a few times that you could share with marketers like especially people trying to start out like is there any tactics or systems or processes that you utilize to try to differentiate cross that line between just a target versus a persona and an actual character. Um, is there anything you do? In marketing, in the marketing world, it's for me personally, it's just about interviewing the person who owns the brand and interviewing them again and again and again and taking out little bits and pieces of what they're saying and then hanging on to those and really creating a narrative around those bits and pieces. Um, because they're going to tell you they don't know who their demographic is. They say it's women. Um, so you have to say, okay, great. And then just keep layering on top of that. So for me, creating these target personas really, really starts with the brand. And it starts with those really um, in-depth interviews. Yeah. Yep. I could um, not give you more credit for that. I think that was a brilliant move that you've done. And you spearhead that in our company, um, just kind of the initial interviews that we do, because what it does is, I mean, it gives us a foundation to start to match that up with data, right? If you're yeah. building that together, like, cause I think most marketers would agree when you're working with a client, uh, they're either very aspirational or they're the owner of the company and there's a big uh, personal connection to the brand. Mm -hmm. And it's our job to separate that and mm -hmm. say, hey, you are not the brand. Mm -hmm. We need to create a narrative. What is the character and story of the brand, um, not your connection to it? And so those interviews and, and taking time to really hear them out creates a great foundation. So yeah. kudos to you on that as well. Thank you so much. Um, so in tangent to like layered characters, Shakespeare was also a master at his at defining his target audience. So he uh, more than just creating personas that people could relate to, which I I equate to like a campaign, right? Like how can we do messaging and campaigns to create these layered effects? Um, he also knew his target audience attending the plays, and that's why people would come back all the time. Um, and it's a difficult thing that he did because it was literally from the lower class, the uh, 
the penny people, like they would put a penny in a box to stand in front of the stage in the pit, um, which, by the way, is why we got the term box office, uh, because they'd go around with a box and people would just put pennies in the box. And that's why they call it a box office. Um, yeah, fun little. I'm, I'm full of fun little facts today. Uh, I mean, that doesn't so, totally make sense to me, though. Like, what? The, where does the office come in? Well, it was like the office of the people that would like bring around the box and then they'd bring all the money back to the office. So the actors and Shakespeare could get paid, you know? Um, so oh. they just started calling it the box office because it was initially just a box and then they went and count the money. Okay. I'm half on board, office. but I know that's okay. not the point. Well, don't go call, call it, go Shakespeare on me. Come up with a new phrase, you know? Um, no, I, I think the point was Shakespeare has once again infiltrated today's society and we don't even know it. He's everywhere. He's, he's everywhere. everywhere. He's everywhere. Um, but as far as the people attending his plays, uh, like I said, lower class, pennies, you know, stand in the pit all the way up to the queen who would frequently attend his plays as well. And everywhere the aristocracy would sit in like the boots and the, the lower class. So... What I think he did brilliantly, if we're thinking about his plays as a campaign, was uh, being able to appeal to both of them at the same time, which is not an easy thing to do, right? So um, he would do things, you know, like he would have uh, obviously historical plays that appeal to the aristocracy, but he would always have like dirty jokes in there, like Shakespearean dirty jokes that would like get the the lower class people uh, rowdy and laughing and cackling he would have the plays like address the audience make fun of the aristocracy you know it was like this blend of like heady beautiful plays mixed with just fun rousing entertainment and so he did such a good job with that and i think that's part of the reason why he's still um so i think prominent. that I, th I think that there's like human emotions that you just can't escape from because you're human. So being a human is really, <laughs> this might be too heady as we talk about it, but I just kind of like, I didn't want to lose this thought because I was yeah, just yeah. thinking like, how did he appeal to the aristocracy, but also appealed to the penny pinchers down below. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just the root of being a human, being able to touch on the raw emotions of humanity instead of being like, Oh, look at all of, you know, instead of catering to the aristocracies by creating a beautiful set and wearing jewels mm -hmm. and all this stuff where the mm -hmm. penny pinchers can't relate to that. Instead, he focuses on the emotions and the feelings of being a human instead of the tangible items of being a human or the, yes. yeah. And, and I think what I compared this to in my head was the social media platforms in the, in before you jump ahead, let me explain it out. Um, like he understood Shakespeare understood why different people attended the theater. Right. He knew their purpose, why they would go to the theater. Some wanted to disconnect. Some wanted to hear beautiful language. Some wanted to see the sets and the costumes and the actors. He understood why people were there. And it's much like when we run social media campaigns, we're like, why are people on Facebook? So many marketers will go in and be like, oh, we can just sell on Facebook. No, people are on Facebook because they can see pictures of families and friends and they can stay updated with 
with their community, right? There's neighborhood groups and everything. That's the people are on Instagram to see funny videos. People are on TikTok to scroll through videos mindlessly, right? They just kind of like de disconnect for a little bit. So understanding why people are entering this arena or this theater, even in the social media, is a key thing that we can learn from Shakespeare, right? Mm -hmm. You can't just put us the same ad across all platforms and be like, yep, this is going to work great. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can't be too salesy because that's not why they're there. They're not there. You don't go to Instagram to buy shit. Uh -huh. Instagram's trying to sell you stuff, but you're not there. You need that element of understanding why people are in that space. And he did a really nice job with that. Did I bring that full circle? Or did I bring full, that full circle? circle. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, let me ask you a, a, a question as well, because this is, I think that what he did as far as his messaging and his plays that worked really well is in the same play, speaking to all of these different audiences, we as modern marketers have the benefit now where we can segment messaging, right? And we can say this segment of our audience sees this messaging, this, seg this other segment sees a different messaging. Do you think that limits creativity as far as a marketer goes? Or do you think that enhances creativity? Um, I, I would say enhances thoughts? off the cuff because I, we're talking about social campaigns, right? And being able yeah, to well, cater any messaging. kind of camp. Yeah, a social is like the most targetable, right? Like we right. can really segment out different different demographics and different personas. I think it yeah. enhances creativity because like you said, people are on Instagram for a very different reason than people are on Facebook. People are on mm -hmm. Facebook to connect, to catch up with their friends and family, to get involved with their community, to see what their gr Facebook groups are up to. And then it's also a very different demographic in terms of like age group on Facebook yep. and then on Instagram. Yeah. People are kind of like Instagram's kind of like aspirational in it mm. kind of no, actually I would like categorize that as Pinterest, but like Instagram, you're there to show off. You're there to yeah. see what everybody else is doing and it has an addictive quality to it. TikTok, you're yeah. there to learn. So you're and watch cool dances. Um, <laughs> so I think by separating your campaign into each one of these groups, you're able to think about, again, the character and the target persona of mm. each one of these channels, but then also you're able to collect data back from each one of these channels and figure out which one performed the best. And mm. from that data, you're actually able to further define and create your character, create your target yeah. persona. So maybe yeah. the ad didn't resonate on Facebook, which means, okay, my audience is not there. It, it's not that age demographic. People don't want yeah. to w want to learn about asphalt on Facebook. Yeah. Instead, yeah. they'd rather see whatever. So yeah, I think I... Thing I'm just saying the I same think, thing. I think time. you're right too. Because uh, I always tell, and I tell you all the time, like in, in our company, you are the creative, I'm the, the data person. My role is to put parameters on your creativity mm -hmm. and say, we need to, yes. we need, I box you in because yeah. I feel like if somebody's like, let's come up with the most creative campaign, you're going to have trouble like coming up with something. But if I'm like, hey, let's creatively sell to moms 
who have just recently have some children who are located in this area you know if we start to put parameters on that you're gonna you're gonna be more creative and i think our ability to segment nowadays it creates little separate arenas for creativity, mm-hmm. right? And I think you're right. It, it it enhances it a little bit. I think the downside is like I, sometimes we get so in the weeds of that that we miss whatever the epic is. Like, what is the mm-hmm. if somebody sees two or three of these ads? What is the consistency? What is the what is the epic messaging piece that we want to resonate? Um, and sometimes that gets overlooked because you are able to tailor so individually uh, mm-hmm. the messaging now. Yeah. So, um, this was actually going a lot better. I was a little nervous for this one, you know, <laughs> but this is actually uh, going a lot better than I thought. Um, so, uh, the last the last piece that I have, we'll make this a short one because Shakespeare uh, is too boring for me. Um, is uh, I thought it was interesting, and I wanted to talk to you about this on how they actually promoted the plays. So, how they would get people in the London areas to show up and promote and how they would market Shakespeare's plays. I'll take a stab. Yeah, go. Two ways. One, they painted murals on buildings. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's not it. <laughs> nope, nope. I was just imagining like the paint back in the day. Like they didn't have spray paint, Caitlin. Like they couldn't throw up a mural real quick. Like it was- I didn't say graffiti. Like, I this said is paint. the time. This is the time of Michelangelo and uh, Leonardo da Vinci. Like, what are you? The, the artists, the, they didn't. The murals were not a, not a. Was a printer city. a thing? It was. Like the typewriter? It, it, I don't think a How typewriter. How did they have a printer before a typewriter? They had the printing press. They would like put the, I'm full of fun facts today. They would put the uh, letters, they'd make the page and the letters in these, like they had like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, marble yeah, yeah. blocks yeah. and okay. then they'd just paint it over with ink and then slam okay. it down. Okay, so I wasn't really sure. Again, don't I, I didn't categorize myself as a history buff here. So I wasn't sure <laughs> what came first, the, printer pre- the printing press or paint. <laughs> paint came first. Paint came first. Yeah. So okay, then I okay. If they're not doing murals, then they're doing going to the printing printer press, printing press, and plastering things on telephone poles or buildings. Yes. Or yes. See. Correct. No okay. telephone poles. You're a no, little, they, but they had poles. Yes. Had yes. Poles. And then yes. my other thought was like, did they just send somebody into the middle of the town square to just shout out? Ah, not bad. I know. Not, you know I'll give what you I points took, for that. Thank you. I'll you give know you what I took that. that from? What? Our episode on Caesar. Cicero. Cicero. I said mm-hmm. our episode on Cicero. You mm-hmm. misheard me. I didn't say Caesar. I said Cicero. I'll edit it out. I'll, I'll, I'll edit it out. You'll just say our episode on Cicero. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. No, I agree. Like the, So uh, what they would do. Uh, they'd print the playbill. That's it's actually the first time a playbill has been. You know, when you go to a play and it gives you all the actors and who's going to be in it. Yep, they did that. Printed it. Put it all over the city. Um, they had a tough time because again, they were technically illegal plays uh, in the city of London because of the Puritan side. So they would do a little, um, you know, putting it in dank alleys or mm-hmm. st- things like that uh and then also they would have a few days before uh the acting troupe the actors go through town with trumpets and drums causing as trying to get as much attention as possible promoting that the play was coming but the piece 
the third piece that I wanted to talk to you about that I thought was interesting because even if you put up playbills, uh, literacy is a big issue in the time. There's not a lot of people that can read or write. Um, so people didn't know it was in there. They, they were very heavy in illustrations, but I thought they were brilliant because they actually used color theory to promote their plays. So at the Globe Theater, they were just outside of town, but you could see the top of it for, it was a big building, so you could see the top of it for, from a long ways away, and they had flagpoles at the top of the Globe Theater, and based on the style of play that was going to be performed that day, they would raise a different color flag. Uh, so black meant that it was a tragedy. They were performing a tragedy that day. White meant that they were performing a comedy, and red meant that there was a historical play. So... Cool. On the day of the play, they would raise these different colored flags, and based on the color that you see, you see if you're interested or not. If you're in the mood for a tragedy or a comedy, you would go attend that. I um, love that. And, That's great. Yeah. Yeah, so I think I thought that was interesting because it's kind of like the color theory marketing that we do a lot, you know, um, especially designing websites where you're like, hey, a specific color, if you're trying to get someone to take a certain journey, you implement yeah. a certain color throughout the website. Yeah. Um, so, I, I yeah, I... Can you elaborate a little bit? Because you're very much the color theory person on how we use colors to, mm -hmm. I don't even know if you want to go elicit feelings or drive behavior, but I think how does that go? The most standard yeah. color that people will resonate with is blue. And that just elicits feelings of authority. And, um, as I'm wearing my blue shirt. Yeah, yeah. Authoritative. Mm -hmm. So authoritative. Corporate um kind of timeless so uh, blue is the most used color uh within companies for sure mm -hmm. and then of course you have green which can indicate a number of things it can uh, it can indicate uh wealth it can indicate sustainability it can indicate like so it, it is really interesting and i'm not sure like i don't know so 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 much about color theory on like when this happened like yeah. when did we decide that green speaks to sustainability or when did we decide that blue elicits authority i'm not sure if yeah. that like kind of came about or if it was as a result of everybody just using these colors and then all of a sudden it was like okay well let's put a name on this yeah. um, but then i know like yeah. purple elicits also like luxury and wealth mm, so purple um, oh yeah. yeah kind of I a darker purple see that yeah so there's a lot of um yeah i mean i love color theory i love colors and the way you can use them to kind of manipulate a brand. Um, yeah. I think one, one on the branding piece, if I can just speak to that for a second, have my two seconds of fame is just <laughs> branding is so much more than a logo and people put so much weight on a logo when I really put a logo like very last in terms yep. of like how to represent yourself. There is imagery involved there and there's colors and there's, um, fonts and each mm -hmm. one of these tells a separate story your logo is really just the bow on top um yep. to tell people hey this is our name basically um so color theory goes a long way ask t-mobile yeah yeah or, or all the, the wireless characters yeah um the the one that came to my mind and i think this is a great example of of what you're explaining is like the old apple logo versus the new apple logo right like it's they didn't change the logo but they had like that that multicolored like rainbow stripes and that's not the color that we elicit i mean now apple is like 
that kind of like pristine i don't want to call it gray silver you know like that nice elegant silver almost white logo uh and all they did was change the color and it it completely changed the kind of look and feel and uh feelings you associate with that with that yeah it too. elevates it a little bit by going to more of a neutral color palette you're yeah. elevating yourself versus obviously like putting all these colors in your logo is going to kind of make it a bit more fun and jovial yep but it's not as timeless right mm-hmm. um well hey i figured short sweet to the point just like shakespeare let's not drag on um but i i find it fascinating and i think there is a lot of uh lessons modern marketers can learn from how shakespeare uh not only created his plays but promoted them and uh if you can build something that lasts 400 years and you're still important there's got to be some good nuggets in there somewhere, right? And if you're the next Shakespeare, if you're the modern Shakespeare, DM us. We're yeah, looking us for know. you. Hit us with some new like phrases. Like that's the thing that I think we're missing, you know, like full mm-hmm. circle, fire mm-hmm. with fire. Like mm-hmm. I want some new ones, right? The How about Gen Z for cherry all my love on for top. Them. Oh, I don't know where that came. Well, that's a, that's a, it's it's all cliche by this point, right? Yeah. You got we need some new ones, and like on fleek does not do it for me, and like all of these new sayings, like uh, glizzy gobbler. Like, have you heard that one? No, but I think that's a good time to end. Glizzy gobbler, it is. I'll let you all do your research on that. It's not what you think it is, but it's close. Is all I'm gonna say. Bye. Uh, <laughs> bye. <laughs>